0: so powerful about just declaring the name of Jesus and we can shout the name of Jesus but the name of Jesus doesn't need to be shouted, it's just as powerful by whispering it. So why don't we just take a minute, let's just begin to put the name of Jesus on our lips, just begin to whisper the name of Jesus. Tell you, when I don't know what to pray, it's just Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you're everything to me. Just begin to tell him in your own words what he is to you. Thank you Jesus. Jesus you're so lovely. You're so kind. Thank you Jesus, you're so gentle. You're so strong. Father, we just want to just take just another minute to tell to tell you how much we love you. You everything. Father, without you, the word says we're nothing. That you're the breath that we breathe. You're the song that we sing. Father, you're everything. You're everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just another, just a few more seconds. Let's just push in Jesus. Let's just begin to lift our voice and let's declare the name of Jesus over this state, over this city. Let's just begin to shout the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank, you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. why don't you turn to someone and just say, "Jesus?" You can take your seats. It is, uh, it is such a joy to be here. And uh, I, I tell you, I, I've been looking forward to this for a, such a long time. And I just, I love Jim and Mary. He's, Jim said he's, uh, I'm one of his best friends, so he's one of mine. It's a, it's a, it's a mutual thing. And I, I, just, I just love those guys. I feel like when I come around Jim, I can just let my barrier down. And I can, we can just, I tell you, this afternoon we solved the problems of the world. We solved the problems of the church, like not just this church, the church, globally. Like we we sorted it all out, and uh, I, I just I just love these guys so much, and they've uh, they've been, you know I gotta I gotta be really honest. I mean, he's been he's been asking me for a little while to come. There's been some discussion about coming, and I've kind of intentionally put it off a little bit because I'm like, you guys are a healing church. I got nothing to add. I've got, got nothing to add. You guys are out there doing it, raising the dead. You know, I haven't raised someone yet. Uh, i am tried, but it didn't work. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, finally, he's. Uh, I thought, well, it's time to come. It's time. I, need, I need a Jim Baker fix. I, I need a Zion fix. I need to come out there and just hang out with you guys. So on, um, thank you for having me. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for your love and your friendship. What year did we first meet? 2009, was it? 2008 in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you drove like 14 hours through a closed freeway on an ice storm to get to a meeting where I was doing a healing school, stopping every every 15 minutes to scrape the ice off the windshield on a closed freeway, naughty boy. <laughs> uh, there's hunger right there, eh, amen? So yeah, such a joy to be here. I, um, I, I just really got a, I got a real expectation for what's going to happen this weekend. And um, was, there's was a message that I was going to share tonight. And just driving here, I was just trying to get some clarity on what I felt the Lord was giving me for tonight. And I, I don't feel to preach the message tonight that I was going to preach tonight. I'm going preach, to preach something else. I'm going to preach something else It's just really on my heart. But tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning... I'll say this now, but it might change tomorrow morning. Is Tomorrow morning, I, I really want to preach a message that I feel is probably one of the most important messages to, to the body today. And I, I'm just, I'm super concerned. There's a bunch of things that concern me, but I'm not going to lose my peace over. But there's a bunch of stuff that I'm just super concerned over, and that's uh, the whole area of mental health it's uh statistics tell us today that twenty five percent of the world is in has a health, mental health crisis, and uh, the church statistics are no better and uh, so i 've just got a message that I want to bring tomorrow that the lord is, the Lord has given me over the last couple of years which i 've just really been developing and walking out and uh, want to share that and tomorrow morning we 're going to go after we 're going to go after some mental health we 're going to go after there's so many conditions that fit into that category, from bipolar to clinical depression to autism to Asperger's to, you know, there's just a whole raft and there, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's just so many things in there. So tomorrow, I really, really believe in that there's just going to be an amazing move of God, and people are going to be, people are going to be set free, all right? So that's tomorrow morning at um, 10 o'clock. All right. What? Uh, just I, I want to just share a couple of things with you briefly that I, I'm involved in. Um, my book is out there. It's called Walking in Supernatural Healing Power. I uh, I totally misjudged it. I'm sorry. There's only four left. <laughs> I don't know why I bought a handful, but there's only four left. So that that is there. There is also a, a workbook that goes uh, with that book, and I won't talk a whole lot about that because there's one left. <laughs> So the, that I was going to say they are there. No, that is there. Hmm. Um, there is also uh, there is my my latest book, which is there. It's called Overflow. I, I have such a passion to see people healed. It's just what I it's what I burn for. I just want to see people healed. I just want to see Jesus get the full reward of His suffering. And uh, but the but probably on a higher level to want to see people healed is actually seeing wanting to see Christians thrive. I want to see Christians burn, and I want to see them burn for every day of their life. Not just we come to a conference, and we have a little conference high, and two weeks later we're dead as a doorknob again. It's like we've we got we to learn how to stay full. And uh, I, have, I have three daughters. I have one wife. She just FaceTimed me. I don't think she realized this in church, so I just I took my FaceTime and spoke to my, my da- one of my daughters and my, and my wife. One, I just have one. One's enough she keeps me busy <laughs> and I have 65 sons and uh, all of my all of my sons are in jail they're serving long term sentences in, in a Texas death row prison and uh, they just they mean everything to me I just I love these boys one of them just wrote a, an amazing book which I got man, I, was, I had the privilege of fought, fought for him and uh these these boys, they, they're in a faith-based unit. And the first time I went to the, the prison to meet with them, they, they put me in a room and they, I had to sign a contract that said in the event of a hostage situation, they wouldn't negotiate for me. And they pushed me into this room, of 65 of them, and I was a little intimidated. It was just me and my intern and myself and no guards. We had actually had one female guard without a gun. <clears throat> and uh, they pushed me into this room, they locked the door behind me, and they're like, just do something with them. And I walked in, they, they, I came in from behind them, they were facing the front, they saw, they saw me coming and they turned around, formed a fire tunnel for me to walk through. And it was, it was a hot Texas summer afternoon it was stinking hot there was no air conditioning and we just had such a miracle breakout in that room i mean the power of god just swept through that place we saw so many miracles it was just outrageous of them praying for each other and so the following year i went in and i i spoke with these boys again and we i did i had the privilege of doing a healing school inside the prison they go on treasure hunts they're, they're looking for people to minister to they're not allowed to use the clue of uh, dressed in white, because <laughs> they're all dressed in white. <laughs> and uh, they, they've they've had they've had cancer healed. They've got uh, they've got uh, recorded testimonies of HIV being healed, of hepatitis being healed. They've uh, blind eyes have been opened. They had a prison guard His blind eye was open. And uh, so I, I sat with these guys and I said, you know, guys. I said, it's one of those moments where you say something and then realize, I don't know, I should have said that. You know, it's like, it's too late, it's out. And I said, I'm writing a book on how to stay full if despite your circumstances. How about you guys finish my book? And 12 of them agreed to do it. So there's 12 chapters in the back of this book written by convicted felons. They are not in there because they stole somebody's lunch money. They're in there for for heinous crimes of murder and rape and those kind of things. But how many of you know that that is not their identity? When we become a Christian, we become a brand new creation. That does not define them. Jesus is the commander of their destiny, not what they did wrong. And uh, they, don't, they're not, uh, they don't become Christians in there to get out of jail. They're not getting out of jail. And one of them is, uh, one of them is serving 505-year sentence. And I just love these boys. So that is there. There's 12 chapters in the back. And what we're going to do tonight is that my, my next book, which is not released, it actually got printed today, and it gets shipped on Thursday, and I receive it on the 6th of April, is, uh, can you just put that slide up? My next book is called uh, The Perfect Gift. It's called Seeing the Child, Not the Condition. And I have just—I have been under an immense amount of—it's. So I've gone after wanting to see special needs children healed. And if you please, don't come to me after and say you don't. What right do you have to heal them? Because that's how God made them. My friend, you don't know your Bible. The Bible says that we're created in His image, and He's not in a wheelchair. He doesn't have autism. He doesn't have bipolar, and he doesn't have—he doesn't have Asperger's. And what we and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're pulling the identity and the condition of the two. So the identity of the child and the condition of the child are two different things. So a, a mother wrote me and she said, "The way you speak about autism is enough to want me to kill my family and commit suicide myself." She said, "You obviously hate children with autism," and I said. No, no, no. That's because you've put the condition and the identity together. I love the child. I hate the condition. I love children, but I happen to hate the condition of autism. So, because of the persecution, and I realise there's such a misunderstanding. I, I joke with people. i like, who needs a devil when you've got a church that hates you? <laughs> <laughs> not this church. <laughs> And uh, so I, I went to with Angela, uh, Angela Locke here on the front row. We went to and we, we wrote this book. We started, well, I really started going after autism. I saw the first case of autism uh, completely healed in 2008. And uh, he was healed, I, he was ministered to, he went to bed and he wake up, he woke up whole the next day. Like totally in his right mind. So we, we decided that we need to start capturing some of these testimonies. And uh, so we went after and we started capturing some of the testimonies that are happening. And we captured seven of them. And they're all different processes of, of breakthrough. And we put them in this book called The Perfect Gift, Seeing the, seeing the Child, Not the Condition. It comes out on the sixth of April if it's pre-ordered. Otherwise, it's not going to come out publicly until uh, I think it's the twenty-seventh of April. So you have an opportunity tonight to to pre-order it. You, it'll be they'll be shipping out of out of Reading about the seventh of April. And uh, I'm involved in a project. It's a pretty ambitious project, but the project is called the Perfect Gift Project. And uh, I'm working. I'm working with. A, Some generous people who want to help me, and and there's lots of generous people, but who want to help me get it into the hands of every special needs parent in the world that can't afford it. And uh, so there's an opportunity for you to not only buy the book, but if you're interested in sewing a book into somebody that can't afford it, there's a lot of special needs parents that have financial strains because, you know, mum can't work because she's got to look after the child or or whatever. So there's an opportunity out there. So you can just go out there and grab this form, uh, fill this in. Uh, Like I said, it's not out yet. This is it here. It is the only copy in the world, and this one's expensive. It's not for sale. Hmm. It is not for sale. And, uh, but if you did want to have a look at it, it's got, it's got six videos in the book. It's quite amazing. There's not a DVD strapped in the back. It's got uh, some codes in there. You're just going to hold your phone over the top, and the video will automatically start playing. And uh, one of those videos uh, we're going to show to you tomorrow morning. So if you purchase the book tonight, if you pre-order the book tonight, we're going to give you this one for free. And you can take this one tonight for free. All right? So it's going to be out there. The team will help you out. There's some audio messages out there, and we'll talk about that uh, more tomorrow. Okay, you guys ready? Three of you. It's encouraging. <laughs> Man, Jim, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. I tell you, I'm more excited about this trip than my next one, and my next one's awesome. I'm off to Milan to drink coffee. (laughs) Then I'm off to Vienna to hang out with Beethoven. (laughs) But I'd rather be here with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to talk about... I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about a couple things, so we'll just see where we end up. But I really want to talk about Jesus. I I really want to talk about... Jesus is our Jesus as our role model for uh, for ministry. You know, it says in Hebrews one three, it says that He is the exact representation of the Father. It says in Colossians that He's the invisible, He's the image of the invisible God. See, Jesus is our theology. Jesus is perfect theology. And if you want to know what the Father's like, the Bible's very clear that we just need to look at Jesus. I mean, we all want to know what the Father's like, but when we look at Jesus, we see the perfect representation of a Father. And when we look at Jesus, we see in the person of Jesus that he never blessed a hurricane, he never welcomed an earthquake, and he never put sickness upon anybody to develop character in them. But it's interesting today, and I'm thankful that it's not this church, but it's interesting today that we create a theology around our our lack of experience to say that God made you sick to teach you a lesson. But yet if I treated my kids like that, my kids would be taken away from me. See, when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we see that every sick person that came to him was healed. Every earthquake, he calmed every storm. Never blessed the storm, he calmed the storm. He messed up every funeral he went to, including his own. See, I I dream of a church that would actually begin to take Jesus seriously. I'm thankful that seriousness isn't a fruit of the Spirit, but I take God very seriously. And that would actually begin to treat sickness as if it's not from God. But yet many of us... Because of the lack of identity of understanding who we are in Christ and knowing our identity is that we we continually ask the Father to do something we 're continually asking the father to to come and heal we ask the Father to come and heal because we don't understand who we are but yet if i if if you continue to ask your boss who employed you to do everything that your boss employs you to do something. And if you keep going to your boss and saying, can you do this? Can you do that? I can assure you, you're not going to have your job for very long. He, he, actually, he actually gave us the authority, the delegated authority to go and heal the sick. It doesn't say pray for the sick. It says to heal the sick, that we actually have that authority. See, I, I want to see the simplicity of the gospel put back in. Jim and I share a favourite verse there in Corinthians that if Eve can be deceived by the by the craftiness of Satan, how we can be deceived by and being pulled away from the simplicity of the gospel. See, what would it look like if we put Jesus back in the we put Jesus back in the church? What would it look like if perhaps if we stopped looking for another revelation and we just started understanding what we've got? And we began to go a little bit deeper. I'm not interested in going wider in the season of my life. I'm just interested in, in going deeper and getting an understanding of what I've, already, what I've already got that I can already work with. But yet we, come, <clears throat> we, create these, we create these theologies around our lack of experience. And we create these theologies, and so much of the church today says, well, it's not, it's not the will of God to heal. But yet even the leper, he comes to Jesus in Matthew 3, and he says, if it be your will. See, there's no hesitation by Jesus when the leper came to Jesus and says, if it be your will. He didn't heal the leper until he cleared up the confusion of the question. Because there's confusion in the question. He didn't immediately heal him. He said, it is my will. He clears up the confusion and he heals him. See, we see in, we see in Matthew 17, we see a father come to Jesus. Uh, it comes to the disciples. And we know that the disciples are unable to heal the boy. And they bring the boy to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we can't heal the boy I'm so thankful that the word of God doesn't say, "Wow, well, if you can't, I guess I can't. If you can't, I guess it's not the father's will for you today because there's a divine appointment. There's a divine time in the future when it must be, Or well, God's just not in a healing mood tonight. He goes, I'll oh, bring the boy to me. See, what would it look like if we actually put the gospel back in the church and we stop justifying our powerlessness to create excuses as to why people are not healed? And we put, it in, we put it off into the too hard basket and we create this theology purely to justify our lack of power. You guys with me? This is not really what I pre- want to preach on tonight. I'm, I'm just kind of like laying a, laying a little bit of a track to where I want to get to tonight because I actually want to speak a little bit about the identity of the believer. And it's I, I want to come at it tonight from, I, I've shared a part of this message here when I was here on a Sunday night a couple of years ago or 18 months ago, whenever it was, I shared a little part about, of this message but I just got so much more revelation upon this message. I tell you, I'm just in love with Jesus. I haven't told you already. I'm fascinated by him. He's just an incredible father. He's a creative father. He does incredible things. For those that were here last night, I, I, you need to excuse me, but I'm going to share this testimony again because it's just one of my favorite testimonies. I was in El Paso, Texas, over the summer, and uh, I, I'm preaching, and I get to as a uh, as a I think it was a Friday night meeting. And I began to call out words of knowledge. This is just how creative God is, and this is how amazing God is. He cares about all of our intimate details. I'm calling out words of knowledge of just the things that I feel that God impressed upon my heart, and he drops this word of knowledge in my heart that is so clear and so loud, I'm embarrassed. I mean, it was so clear, I thought someone had actually shouted it, like from the PA system. It was that clear inside. It was like the audible voice of God inside. But it was so clear this is my dialogue between me and God I'm like God I can't say that that's not a word you are in church and I just I moved on and just gave some more words of knowledge and the word comes again just so clear and I said God I the second time I said God like if you want to say it why don't you say it <laughs> like why don't you bring out the word of knowledge I can't say that this is church like And the word came a third time, and the third time was enough. I gave up, and I said, all right, I'll bring bring the word. So I said, listen, uh, I just had a word that's just dropped in my heart that's just so clear. I mean, it's just so clear and audible that I want you to stand if the word's for you, but you can just stand when other people stand if they've got a sore back or a sore finger. Just stand for other things. I said, but there's somebody here, and you've got a problem in your anus. And I quickly moved on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really fast. We had a we had a wonderful night. There were about 750 in the room, and we had something like 500 miracles of people coming forward to testify of what the Lord had done in that night. And all these people are crowded at the front, and and uh, we start going through the crowd, and we're like, who was healed tonight for more something more than a month? You know, six months, twelve months, two years, five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty, thirty. I think we had about 45 people that have been healed or something of over 45 years. And so, I, so when I see all these hands up, I come over to the start over here. And I, I, the first man, he has his hand up. And I said, sir, how many years? And he goes, 57. And I went to say, what? What happened? And I heard the Lord say, don't ask him. He's never told me that before. He says, don't ask him. So I just, I just moved on. Um, that, That's weird. Well, immediately after the meeting, it's like, the guy's my driver. He'd been driving me around for the conference. And I'm like, well, thank God for that. You know, I can find out what happened. So you can imagine the conversation as soon as I got off the platform. I'm like, huh. I almost said his name. I don't want to say his name. I'm trying to protect his privacy. I said, uh, what happened? And he goes, I'm I'm the word, I'm the humbling word about the anus. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, you are? And he goes, I said, what happened? And he goes, I was born without one. And now he's got my attention because I know you need one. tell you he cares about the intimate details (laughs) and I said what what happened and he goes I was born without an anus and at birth they created I went into surgery they created they first they did a colostomy so you know we know what a colostomy is you know a bag on the side I have a colostomy a bag on my side from zero to eight and over a five-year period no I'm sorry over an eight-year period I had five major abdominal surgeries where they actually created and built me an anus. They built me an artificial anus and put it all in place. And at the age of eight, I had a reverse colostomy where they connected it all back up and turned me on, ready to go. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And I said, so what happened tonight? And he goes, well, as a result of the surgeries, he said, I don't only not have feeling from here to here, he said, I actually have no muscle. He said, it's not that it doesn't work. He said, it's not there. He said, I have no ab muscles at all. And I said, So what happened tonight? And he goes, You asked people to prepare up and pray. The man put his hand on my stomach and he said, I felt fire come out of his hand, shoot into my stomach. And he stand there and he goes, Check this out. And he's flexing his abs. He said, "I got a brand, I got a brand new set of abs." Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not being rude. I'm just telling you the story. If you're offended, take it up with God. He said, "anus." <laughs> I told my wife, and she goes, "Why didn't you say like bottom?" I'm like, <laughs> "I said because God didn't say bottom. God said anus." <laughs> if God had said bottom, I would have said bottom. <laughs> you know, He said anus. And he said, he said, Chris, he says, you don't understand. He said, for 57 years, I haven't been able to sit on the toilet and push waste out by choice. He said, I can't. I got zero abs, like nothing. He said, you kind of need those muscles there to, you know, to do that. you know.' And I'm like, yeah, I know. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, that's amazing. Drops him in my hotel and leaves. He picks me up in the morning for the conference. And you can imagine the conversation first thing in the morning. <laughs> Hey, hey, my friend, how's down under? And he looks at me and he says, you know what? He said, I sat on the throne this morning for the first time in 57 years and pushed it out. I tell you, he's a happy camper, and you would be too if you got your anus healed. You had a little problem. He, he is a very happy man. And the last text I had from him, just maybe four or five months ago, he said to me, Chris, i got the abs of a 16-year-old. And how many want to receive that one? <laughs> I wouldn't need to go to the gym anymore. It's like, oh, yes, please. I, I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about <clears throat> the, identity, the, the identity of the believer. The Lord, the Lord woke me up about <clears throat> six months ago, and he, it was just one of those moments where something comes so clear. He just speaks so clear. I, I, I wish it was all the time like that. I wish it was daily like that, it's not. but sometimes it's just so clear. And He woke me up and he said, "Chris, it's about position, not condition." That's all He said. It was as clear as that. This is about the Christian life is about position. It's not about condition. And I began to study and read in John 15, because the Christian life is about understanding our position of who we are in Him. It's not about the condition, it's about the position. And the more that we begin to understand our position of who we are in Him, the more we see. See, Jesus says in John 15, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. But yet when we don't understand our position... And we're more focused on the condition, we will try to become something that he says you already are. See, it's not the vine that produces fruit, it's the branch that produces fruit. And we're connected to the vine. But without him, we can do nothing. I got some really good news for you you are not solitaped onto the vine, you are not super glued onto the vine. You are engrafted into the vine that you as a believer actually became in union with Christ. That when his blood is shed, that your blood and his blood mixed into one, that you became that you became one with Christ. See, when we begin to understand the the basics of the gospel, I tell you, I'm just sold out for the gospel. It's like in this season of my life I feel like I don't want to preach anything else but the gospel. I don't want to preach nothing. It's like I don't want to preach about what the seven pillars mean in the tabernacle of David. I mean, I honestly, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> I just, I just want to preach the, I just want to preach the gospel. See in Galatians two twenty, it says, "It's no longer I that lives; it's Christ that lives in me." See what if, what if as a church we actually began to got a, we began to get a revelation of. What happened at the cross? What happened when you gave your life to Jesus? But yet, I go to many churches, and I think one of my greatest concerns today of the church is that we're not preaching the gospel, we're preaching the Bible. Now, I didn't say the Bible's wrong. I I love the Bible, but the Lord spoke to me just months ago, and he woke me up another morning, as clear as anything. And he said, Chris, many people are preaching the Bible, but not many, preach, many, many people are preaching the gospel. Preach the gospel. And yet, we don't know, many believers don't know, we're, we're actually doing salvation altar calls, and they, we are winning them to what? The church? Who becomes their saviour? The church or Jesus? Because without the preaching of the gospel, I'm quite convinced in most cases that the church becomes their savior and we're actually joining a club and they don't actually know what happened at the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus didn't die just for you. He actually died as you. I I believe that the cross is so powerful of what happened at the cross when you gave your life to Jesus, that he didn't die just for you, he died as you, that the cross was the greatest mass murder in all of history. See, I, I don't believe that Jesus necessarily came to save us, I think he came to kill us. He came to save us from ourselves because that's what happened at the cross when we give our life to Jesus. We were not, we were co-crucified with him, Galatians 2.20. We were dead, we were made dead. Forty-six times in the in the epistles it says you're dead. I like to propose to you what part of dead doesn't the church understand? Because dying is a process, death is an event, death has already happened, but the church is walking around saying, well, I'm trying to die. See, my friend, we're actually doing something that's already been done. And we're trying to do something that's already been done because we've failed to preach the gospel of what actually happened when you gave your life to Jesus. And we wonder why we're not walking to the fullness of what God called us to do. Did the guy with the black classes say, are you a Catholic brother? Oh, I know you. I bless you, man. I love you too. (laughs) All right. I love Catholics. (laughs) Jesus does too. Man, I know I've shared this before, but some of the greatest miracle breakouts I've ever seen have been in Catholic churches. As in France, 3,000 hungry hungry Catholics showed up. One night, we had 2,500 miracles. It's in your creed. Yeah, it's in the Catholic creed. It's like I spend more time with charismatics trying to convince them Jesus is still alive. (laughs) Go to a Catholic church, and it's like... (laughs) Just kind of happens because it's in their creed they never stop believing. Amen. Yeah, thanks for coming. I love you. See, that that's what happened at the cross. Is that but we we wonder we wonder why we don't walk into the fullness of what God has for us. We don't walk into the fullness of what God has for us because we're trying to die. Well, oh, I just gotta die. I gotta die to my sinful nature. It's like, and I, I really believe that. <clears throat> There's a lack of identity in the church. That we don't, we don't understand who we are. And when we don't understand who we are, how can we walk in the fullness of what Christ called us to do and what Christ called us to do? Now, I know this is going to be a little offensive, and perhaps if you're from this church, not so much, but if you're from other churches. But we're walking around saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. My friend, if you're a sinner saved by grace, your identity has been stolen from the very outset. You don't know who you are because that sounds like a schizophrenic Christian who's walking around not knowing who they are, saying, "Well, I'm just a sinner." No, I'm a saint. No, I'm a sinner. Oh, no, I'm a sinner saved by I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't know who I am. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. And now I'm a saint. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. Some of you are like, well, that's just semantics. No, it's not semantics. It's a very basic level of understanding our identity of who we are in Christ, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, the new has come. See, if we think that we're a sinner saved by grace, I've got something to tell you. You will sin by faith because that's what sinners do. Well, I don't know why I don't have victory over sin. You don't have victory over sin because you were never taught what happened at the cross. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're either a sinner or a saint. You're not a crossbreed. I was going to go somewhere there, and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> I do. I'm going to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I I do not believe in self-identification. We've we've become we've become so mixed up in the uh, in the identity of who we are that we're that we're not leading the example to the world. And now we've got a world, particularly in uh, several countries around here. One called United States and one just north of here starting with C. And we're, 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 we can call ourselves what we want. But ladies, I've got really good news for you. You won't find me in the woman's bathroom after. Because I don't believe in self-identification. My identity is not in who I want it to be. My identity is in what Christ told me I am. Now, if you're here and you're suffering with gender issues, I still love you very much. But I want to tell you is that your identity is not who you want to be. Your identity is who Jesus told you are. He is the commander. He is the controller of my destiny. I'm still not quite to where I want to preach. and I'm getting there. See, I, I just want—I want to see—I want to see the church set free. I, I got really good news for you. Jesus didn't come to set you free so you can you can go and heal the sick. Jesus didn't come to set you free so you can go and plant a church. And Jesus didn't come to set you free so you can win the lost. See, if Jesus came to set me free so, I, so my, pure, my, my sole job is to win the loss, wouldn't he have been better just to create one person in the start that we couldn't self-replicate and we would have got the job done a whole lot quicker? He didn't come to set you free for those things. He came to set you free because Galatians 5.1 says he sets you free for freedom's sake. Do you realize how much powerful it would be if we actually realized what Jesus came to set you free from? That we got set free for freedom's sake? Because it's free people. It's free people that go and win the lost. It's free people that plant churches. It's free people that go and heal the sick. See how free are we? I'm not tied in bondage to the law. I'm set free from the law. I am the old man is dead. I don't talk to the dead. See, if some of you go and dig your old man up each day and talk to him and wonder why you're having issues because it's called sin. It's called necromancing, talking to the dead. We don't talk to the dead. See, Jesus is not a window showing us who we can become. He's a mirror showing you who you already are. But you should look in the mirror next time. That's who you are. He's showing you he is not a window of who you're going to become. He is a mirror showing you who you already are. That when you look in the mirror, you actually see the very image of God. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 11. If you think I'm angry, I'm not. I'm just passionate. And I love you guys. Especially you, my Catholic brother. <laughs> Mark chapter 11. Put your finger in there and then turn to Genesis chapter 3. Keep your finger on Mark 11 though. Genesis chapter 3. See, I I want to talk to you about righteousness. I, I want to bring a fresh perspective on righteousness because it's the topic that I feel that so much of the church doesn't understand. That righteousness becomes more of a doing than that of a being. And while I want to see the body of Christ walk in the miraculous. Why I want to see the body of Christ win souls. And I want to see the body of Christ plant churches. I want to see the body of Christ be victorious. I want to see the body of Christ reign and rule in life. But we're trying to do all of those things. We're trying to reign and we're trying to see, we're trying to see fruit. But what would happen if we actually got the foundation of the plants correct? because i really believe that righteousness is one of the foundations in our life that if we actually just got cracked fruit would happen but yeah we're trying to grow our fruit it's like Wah. see a fruit tree doesn't try to grow it just grows Because it's connected to the vine. See, I I really believe we've got to get the revelation that without him, we're nothing. This is the power of the gospel, is understanding who Jesus is, of understanding who we are, that it's you and him, and it is him and you. The baseline of our identity is this in him. It's not royalty. It's not that I'm a prince. Oh I almost said it's not that I'm a princess. No, I do not believe in self-identification. I I cannot be a princess, I'm a prince. (laughs) It's in him. See, in one John 4 17 says, as he is, so are you to the world. So when we look at who Jesus is, we have to ask ourselves what is he? He's holy, he's righteous. He's sinless, he's triumphant, he's not sick, he's not broke. My identity is in him, as he is, so are you to the world. So what if we actually focused on getting the dirt right in our box that the plants could actually grow in, and then when we put a seed in, it would actually take but yet we put plants in a plant box with no dirt, and we wonder why it's not growing because we don't have the foundations right. And we begin to operate more out of principles than we do out of the presence. See, I, I'm a little bit past teaching the principles of healing. I, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I, I think that they. I think that there's lots of principles that are important, and we can. We can teach you on how to pray more effectively and see results. But I can teach you the principles, and you're going to get excited for about two weeks. I can teach you about the prince, and I've got a warrior that doesn't know how to quit. I can teach you about who you are, and you're going to be filled with Jesus, that you become Jesus-centered, that you become Christ-centered, that you go after it, and you will not quit, and you will be a fruit. mark where where were we mark eleven right mark eleven chapter chapter fifteen chapter twelve i 'm sorry <laughs> chapter eleven, verse twelve the next day. When they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And uh, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to it to see if he could perhaps find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of fruit. I'm sorry, it was not the season of figs. And in response, Jesus said, let no one eat from this fruit tree ever again. And his disciples heard it. just going to camp there for a few minutes. This is the way I read the Bible. I'm always reading between the lines. Like, what What the heck's that about? Like, this seems a little harsh. And so I ask myself, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Now, I can ask that question in this room, and I'm going to get a multitude of answers. I can ask that question and say, well, it wasn't bearing fruit. It's like, Jesus expects fruit in every season, and it wasn't bearing fruit out of season, so therefore he cursed it. Jesus was cursing the house of Israel, and it's like... I think they're all noble answers, but I don't think that that's what the story's about. So I, I began to study the fig leaf, and I discovered that the fig leaf is first mentioned in Genesis. Leave your finger on mark, and let's jump, to, let's jump to Genesis chapter chapter 3. And it says this, and So we know Adam and Eve are in the garden and it says the eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves coverings. Now that's the first time in scripture that the fig leaf is mentioned and they make coverings. Adam and Eve make a mess. They take a fig leaf to make for themselves coverings. Now the word coverings means a partial covering. Now your your word might say um, a loincloth. We're going to put another word to it tonight. We're going to. It's my word. It's a fig leaf to cover the essentials. They made a fakini. <laughs> Eve had a fakini on and Adam had his speedo on. (laughs) Because the fig leaf is actually the image of self-righteousness. And no matter how much you try to cover yourself in self-righteousness, it's never enough because the word coverings means to cover only what's barely essential. See, my Bible tells me that There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Last time I cut down a fig tree, no blood came out. The fig leaf is bloodless. And they cover themselves with the fig leaf because they were covering covering themselves in self-righteousness. And God comes in the garden and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And you can't find them. They were, they were hiding because they became sin conscious as opposed to righteous conscious. A sin consciousness will cause you to run from God. A righteous consciousness will cause you to run to God. And they can't find them. A, a crack, that passage just makes me laugh because it's like as if God didn't know where they are. I mean, like, if you think you can hide from God with your fakini on, Just run to him and take it off. <laughs> and God comes in the garden and it says, for Adam and his wife, and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. I, I am a New Zealander. I will never surrender. I will never surrender my passport. I am a New Zealander through and through. You can take me out of New Zealand, but you can't take the New Zealander out of me. I know, what, I know what a tunica skin is. See, the tunicus skin is, to be, is believed to be a lamb. We have 4.5 million people in New Zealand, and we have 60 million sheep. There's 15 sheep to every man, woman, and child alive. My favorite, sheep, my favorite thing to eat is lamb. Get them off their mama as soon as you can. Kill them, cook them, and eat them, right? Under nine months. Beautiful. Over nine months, they're just an old hack. They don't taste very good. You don't shoot a lamb. You just cut his throat. Come up behind him. It's a painless death. He's dead in a second. I know how to kill them. I used to have one. His name was Johnny until I ate him. It tasted good. We're a small town. We're small town New Zealanders. You want to eat, grow your food. I had a a cow too called Smokey. He tasted pretty good too. See, God's not a vegetarian. And all the meat lovers said. Because to get a tunic of skin... You have to kill, which is believed to be a lamb. See, when you slit the throat of a lamb, you can run the knife down the gullet and you can actually pull the tunic of the lamb's wool right off the sheep. It just peels off. But it's a little bit of a bloody mess. You're going to have blood on the inside of that tunic and you're going to have blood up your arms as you're pulling that thing off. It's a little messy. It's a little messy. And this is exactly what God does, is he takes the lamb, he takes the tunic of the lamb, and he goes to Adam and Eve because the word there where it says, and he clothed them, means a full and complete covering. Full and complete. See, he would have taken that tunic of lamb to Adam and Eve, he would have pulled the tunic over Adam and Eve, that they would have been covered in the blood of the lamb that they would have had a full and complete covering that they actually, that we actually become the very righteousness of Christ when we give our life to God. That we are covered, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, self-righteousness is taken off and we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. See, it's about position. See, we cannot become any more righteous than the day that we were born again. But yet we've got a church that is, like, I, that is searching for righteousness. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't say seek your righteousness. It says, seek his righteousness. See, when we put Jesus back in the church, we will get the benefits. And all these things will be added unto you. Let me propose to you that I believe in many cases we're going after the added benefits, but we're not actually going after the righteousness of understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, that you, you are already righteous. You cannot be any more righteous than the day you gave your life to Jesus. Now, some of you are probably a little upset with that statement. I want to propose something to you. Can, a, can a, an unrighteous man do a righteous act? Of course he can. Does it make him a righteous man? (laughs) Thank you. You can have my book for free for that. (laughs) See, an unrighteous man can do a righteous act, but it doesn't make him a righteous man. And in the same way, a righteous man can do an unrighteous act, but it doesn't make them an unrighteous person. But because we fail to understand the identity of the believer, every time we do something wrong, which we do wrong because we don't know who we are, we say, Oh, there you go. I knew I am unrighteous. I knew that the 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 old man, the old nature is still alive in me. I need to obviously take him to out the back and I need to kill him again. I have got still got some dying to do. I've got to kill that old man. No, it's about position. You're trying to do something that's already been done. Are you guys with me? Let's jump back to Mark. So he came to Jerusalem, verse 15. And Jesus went into the temple and he began to drive out those who sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and those who sold doves. Again, this is how I read the Bible. He drove out those who bought and sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and those who sold doves. Let's start at the end. He overturned the tables of the money changers and he sold, sorry, and the seats of those who sold doves. What was the dove? What was the dove in this context? Sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? It's a sin sacrifice. They would come into the temple and they'd buy a dove in the marketplace. Who bought the dove? Somebody help me. The poor. Because the poor couldn't afford a lamb. They'd buy a dove in the marketplace. They'd bring the dove into the marketplace. Sorry, they'd buy it in the marketplace and they'd they'd bring it to the temple. Who would examine it at the gate? The priest. What would he examine the dove for? Blemishes. The priest would intentionally look for a blemish that the dove would have to be set free... So they'd have to come into the temple to buy an unblemished dove, which is a way higher price than that of the one in the marketplace because the priest got a cut of the sale of the dove if it was bought in the temple. They're ripping off the poor. What was the purpose of the dove? They would lay their hands upon the dove and their sins would be imputed to the dove and they were clean until they sinned again. And they would buy another dove because there was an imputation of righteousness that would go back from the dove to them. They were deemed cleaned until they sinned again. So why did Jesus overturn the tables of the money changers? And it's not true what you read on the internet, that we're not allowed to have bookshops in church. If you think that it's because we're not allowed to sell product in church, I think we've completely and totally missed the subject of what Jesus is actually talking about. See, he overturned the the tables of the money changers because Jesus walks in there. What were they doing in the temple? Stealing from the poor and purchasing righteousness. Righteousness. Jesus walks in. He turns the tables over of the money changes because what he is actually saying is that there's a turning of the table coming from the old covenant to the new covenant. There's some blood about to be shed that not one of you can even afford to purchase. And he turns those those tables over. Let's carry on. And the scribes and the priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, he came from the city. And now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God. Which is not quite a correct translation. The translation should read "have faith of God." That's just another whole message in itself that I, I don't want to go there. Faith is not. And then I go there. <laughs> faith is not introspective. Faith is not inward looking. Faith is anchored in another reality. I, I think that and I've taught the faith message here before. That's why I don't want to do it. But We've so overemphasized faith that we've now got a navel-gazing church wondering if they've got enough faith because they've got their eyes off Jesus thinking it's inward. See, if I, if I said to the young lady here, there's a lady over there, she's got no arms, no legs, no ears, no teeth, and her nose fell off. Do you think you've got the faith to get her healed? The first place she's probably going to go is introspective and go... <laughs> Do you have someone better qualified than me? Like, send Jim. I don't don't know if I've got it. See, faith's not introspective. It's about the faith of God. Hebrews 12.2, look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, which is not a correct translation. It actually says, look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith that when you look to Jesus, you begin to see from the eyes of Jesus, you begin to operate with the faith of Christ. I'd rather have faith of Christ than faith in Christ. When I put my faith in Christ, I end up operating with the faith of Christ. That's the realm that the creative happens in. That's that's the realm that Ab muscles that weren't there a second ago just instantly get created because we begin to actually operate with the faith of Christ. See, I can look, and I can look at Jim, who's missing a leg. What am I likely to see? I'm likely to see the missing leg. God doesn't see the missing leg. He sees the leg that's missing. I see the problem. He sees the answer. What's our job to look to Jesus? Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, we begin to see how he sees things. He sees the answer and not the problem. You guys doing all right? We'll be done soon. So Jesus answered and said, have faith of God. I like the faith of God. Now it's the classic verse. Everybody knows this one. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Let me read that one again. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done and he will have whatever he says can I ask two honest questions how many of you grew up memorizing that verse just to read it day and night it's a bit of a tongue twister but I'd read it day and night whoever says to this mountain now let me ask you another question did you ever wonder why it never worked hello or you're lying to me just because you're lying it doesn't make you a liar we can still lie but our identity is not a liar because that's our old nature hello anybody ever wonder why that didn't work Any of you walk around speaking to your mountain? Your mountain of dead. Your mountain of sickness. Your mountain of cancer. Get up in the name of Jesus. See, I I lost my mother as a 12-year-old, and I watched my mother die slowly over a period of time, and she dies in front of me. And every night I'd cry myself to sleep over two verses in Mark, and this being one of them, saying, God, your word says that I can speak to the mountain and it shall be removed. I speak to the mountain of cancer. And one day I was before the Lord, this is as a 12-year-old, and I said, God, I said, your word is either, I'm sorry, the church has either heard an hypocrisy or your word's not true. I said, what is it? He didn't tell me that the church was hypocrisy, but he did tell me his words true. But I I lived in that tension of, why don't I ever see my mountains move? I mean, we're a mountain-moving generation. And this is what the Lord is beginning to give me. And I'll share this and we're going to close and we're going to minister some sick to the sick because we're going to see some mountains move but we're going to minister out of a new perspective. See, what's the mountain? Well, Pastor, so whoever says to the mountain, whoever says to this mountain, did you notice it doesn't say these mountains? Did you notice it doesn't say... Your mountain? It doesn't say whoever speaks to your mountain. It doesn't say whoever speaks to the mountain of sickness, whoever speaks to the mountain of cancer, whoever speaks to the mountain of debt. But we've become so principle-orientated that we've made that verse about our mountain, and we're applying a principle rather than living out of the presence Let me propose this to you. What mountain is it talking about? Mount Zion. What happened on Mount Zion? I'm sorry, rephrase that. What was on Mount Zion? The temple. What were they doing in the temple? Purchasing self-righteousness. Perhaps this is what it's actually saying. That if you want grace and faith to flow freely from your life, that you'd begin to actually see the mountains move, then maybe we need to start cursing self-righteousness. Because so much of the church has become about us. It's man in the center so much of the churches have come about principle I don't believe that this mountain is the mountain of sickness I I don't believe that this mountain is the, the mountain of debt now do I believe in speaking to your mountain, you bet I do speak to my mountain each and every day the mountains that are in my life because the verse goes on and it says, Be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. You want to see your mountains move? Put Jesus back as the center. Stop operating out of the principles knowing that you're not empowered by the principles, you're actually empowered by grace. I, I think it's time as a church, as a, as a body, that we start cursing self-righteousness because it's in that place of curs- cursing self-righteousness, recognizing that it's about, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me, that you and him became one, that your blood and his blood f- came into one it combined into one it's inseparable that your union with christ that the sooner we get there the sooner grace flows but we're walking around and we're speaking to our mountains out of principle powered by principle as opposed to being empowered by grace See, if we think that I, I think that the mother of all sins is self-righteousness. I think the absolute mother of them all is self-righteousness. It wasn't the garden and it wasn't the apple in the garden. What does the enemy come and say to Adam and Eve? If you eat from the fruit you will be like god but genesis 1 says that we were created in his image they were trying to become something that they already were through their works It's about position, not condition. I'd like to propose to you that that was the first sin. I don't think the second sin was disobedience. I think the second sin was unthankfulness. They've been given everything. Have Everything. All of this is yours. Just don't touch that tree. They became unthankful for what they had and had to go after something else because they're unthankful with this. I think that's the second sin. See, how can you tell whether there's self-righteousness in your life? We can tell if there's self-righteousness in our life by whether you're dealing with guilt and condemnation. Because you're actually trying to punish yourself for something that's already been punished. And when we have self-righteousness in our life and we're trying to punish ourselves for something that's already been punished, you will never be able to stand before God without an inferiority complex. You're standing before God with your fakini on. And you're wondering why grace is not flowing. Because you're actually standing before Him in your works, not in His works. But when we put Jesus back in the centre and we recognise that it's by His righteousness you can stand before God. Covered in the blood of Jesus. Knowing that you are the righteousness of Christ. Knowing that there is no inferiority complex. And you can expect to see your your prayers answered. I tell you, it's normal for the believer to have their prayers answered. It's normal for the believer to pray for the sick and they be healed. It's normal for the sick for the believer to pray for cancer and see it dissolve. It is normal for the believer to pray for mental illness and to see it made whole. And we wonder why it doesn't happen. Let me propose that maybe we're standing before God with an inferiority complex because we've got our bikini on covered in fig leaves dressed in self-righteousness. And when he looks at you, when the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection of the son. The sinless son. I, I just, I feel so strongly, this is not what I was going to start with tonight. I feel so, so strongly we've got to put Jesus back in the church. Because you are righteous. Righteous. Say, well, I don't feel very righteous. It's not a feeling. You cannot be any more righteous than the day you gave your life to Jesus. Your your bikini came off, and you were washed in the blood of Jesus. (laughs) See, just because you, just because you walk outside and put your foot on a board and a nail goes through your foot, it doesn't make you a nail. And that's how we treat ourselves. I knew I was a sinner because I still sinned. My friend, just because you sin doesn't mean you're a sinner. It means you're a saint having a sinful experience. But the sin is not your identity. Close of this verse, and this one's going to really upset you. It would if I didn't tell you it was a verse. You'd probably stone me, and then when I told you it was a verse, you'd put your stones away. My Bible tells me a Christian can't sin. See, we only sin outside of our identity. So what if we actually learned our identity in him? Because as he is, so are you to the world. That's the victorious place. You want to reign in life? Romans 5.17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Guess what? It's a gift. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you earn by your doing. You receive a gift by saying, Thank you. By looking in the mirror, recognizing that's who you are. I tell anybody that's struggling with their identity, this is what I tell them, and maybe some of you need to try this. Get up in the morning get out of the shower but for those visual people don't go there naked stand in front of the mirror and say I am the righteousness of Christ and begin to say it until you believe it I've seen a number of people with anorexia nervosa healed by that By standing in the mirror saying that person was created in the image of God. I am the righteousness of Christ. I tell you, I I, I dream. I've seen a powerful church. But I do not believe, Jim. Mary, that we're going to see a powerful church until we put Jesus back in and we stop preaching the principles, knowing that we're not empowered by the principle, we're empowered by grace. That we're empowered, that we triumph victorious in life because of the gift of righteousness. The gift. It doesn't say the works of righteousness. And we can stand before God without any inferiority complex. And we can expect to see our presence, because that's the normal position of the Christian life. Amen. I want you to turn someone next to you and say, I am the righteousness of Christ. I am righteous not by my works. But I am righteous by his works. I am not righteous by my blood. But I am righteous by his blood. This is actually about Jesus. I can stand before God. As the perfection of Christ. That when he sees me, he sees Christ. He sees the, the righteousness of Christ. I can expect my prayers to be answered. I can expect to see people healed. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to minister to the sick for a while tomorrow, God willing, in the morning, I'm going to talk about, it's a gospel message on why I believe we're so mentally ill. It's not a message of condemnation. Please, if you're suffering with mental illness, please, I, the judgment's not coming from me. There is no judgment. This is going to be a place where if you're mentally ill, I want you to come tomorrow. And if you're not mentally ill, I still want you to come. It's a scary statistic that 25% of us are mentally ill or 25% of us suffer with mental illness. That scares me. I'm not just talking about the sinners. I'm talking about the saints. I got such a heart to see them set free. I'm on a journey of trying to unlock that. and I, I'm, the fir- I'm the first to admit I haven't arrived. I prayed for thousands of special needs kids. And we've got, we've got testimony of 56 receiving breakthrough. It's a whole lot better than where I was a few years ago with none. It wasn't till 2014 that I heard about the first one that was healed in 2008 that I had the joy of ministering to ministered to him at night i told you at the start this is in hawaii he goes to bed he wakes up whole i was gone the next day i didn't know until 2014 where his mother came and introduced him to me and said you ministered to him in 2008 he's severely autistic he went to bed and he woke up in the morning got out of bed completely and made whole I dream of the day where schizophrenia can't stand in the presence of God. I dream of the day when autism can walk into church and it won't walk out. Of Asperger's, of bipolar, of childhood disabilities. I tell you, we've got to be grounded in Jesus, because the absence of the miracle doesn't define his nature. Team, can you come? We're going gonna, we're gonna to minister to some sick. And we're going to see breakthrough. We're going to see I just believe we're going to see a lot of breakthrough tonight. It is as well. and you are the righteousness of Christ that you can expect. To see breakthrough because he's not judging you for your sin your sin is already judged that you might become the righteousness of Christ that you have become the righteousness of Christ he looks down he sees Christ he sees the perfection and the holiness of Christ in you if you think he's judging you for something that you've done then I guess we don't need Jesus to die on the cross See, that's what a lot of autoimmune conditions are. Somebody, something needs to be punished. It's your body punishing yourself because someone has to be punished. What if we put Jesus back in the center and recognize that we are the righteousness of Christ and he took our punishment and we actually started blessing our immune system to operate as it should operate. We'd see autoimmune conditions beginning to go to start to speak to your mountain. Zechariah it says, with shouts of grace, grace, the mountain will be removed. It doesn't say with shouts of principle, principle, the mountain will be removed. It's all by Grace. Even on your greatest day of faith, when you feel like you can literally speak to a mountain and it get out and walk walk and jump and jumps itself into the sea, it's still by grace. This is a grace revival. This is not a works revival. So what my team are going to do, they're going to...